Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. Byron here with Peg Dawson. Peg, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I'm sure there are quite a few people on the line like myself that feel like they're smart but scattered. (laughs) So welcome everyone listening in. Tell us a little bit about your interest in this topic area. I got interested in it. My background is school psychology, and I worked in the schools for many years, and then I went into a private practice where I was working primarily with kids with learning and attention disorders. And somewhere along the line, I realized that a lot of what having an attention disorder is all about is not just having trouble paying attention, but having problems with other things like time management and planning and organization and those things. And so my colleague and co-author and I uh, really worked to to develop strategies to help those kinds of kids. Um, And out of that, we started writing books, and uh, we wrote a book for parents called Smart But Scattered. And somewhere along the line, we realized that the same strategies that work with kids will work with adults. Uh, And so we basically took what we knew about how to work with kids with attention problems or kids who are underachieving students, and we applied it to adults in the workplace, in the home, um, and in relationships. And that's that's what led to the smart, the smart but scattered guide to success. What do you think the root and cause of being scattered is? Is it is it a development issue, or is it the water we're drinking? <laughs> What's your thought on that? Actually, my my thought is that we've always been this way. It's just that now we have language to understand it. And secondly, life has actually gotten more complicated. And we're ble- our, our various roles are bleeding into one another. So we're no longer, you know, working nine to five jobs and then coming home. And in, in the old days, you had one parent working and the other parent staying at home. So the demands on everybody are, is greater. The connectivity between people is greater. And what it's done is just revealed our fault lines, I think. I don't think we're worse. I think life is more complicated and we're more aware. Is technology feeding this problem, in your opinion, particularly mobile phones and our constant distractions all day, every day? Absolutely. It's both feeding it's feeding the problem, but it's also a, a really good source for solutions. So that's what makes it really tricky because we can't just say to people, oh, throw out your cell phone and you'll be fine. In fact, A, people can't do that, and B, there are all sorts of apps and tools and reminders on your cell phone that may actually help you get a handle on the problem. So, But certainly technology is, has certainly uh, exacerbated it. So the book is rather exhausting, I might add, but I, I want it, <laughs> <laughs> but extremely thorough. So thank, thanks for both of those things, I guess, some, yeah. somehow in some strange way. But do, do you think our roots of, of being scattered are, how, what's to blame for that? Have we let ourselves go? Are we letting ourselves be distracted? Is something changed in our environment or our culture or what we do that would be a root cause of distraction? 
we're just more aware of, of all the complexity out there. The opportunities are greater than they ever have been before. We have answers at our fingertips. So in the old days, we'd have this question, and we'd think, hmm, that's interesting. I'll think about that at some point. And now what do we do? We pull out our phone, we Google it, or we ask mm-hmm. Siri, so what time does the Red Sox game start? <laughs> and 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 on top of that, the, those tools are so powerful and so seductive that it it becomes very hard to sort of set them aside and realize, wait, I was right in the middle of having a conversation with someone or I was right in the middle of doing something really important for my work. So it's just so much easier, I think, to be distracted by everything going on around us now. So what's the solution? How do we end and purge our distractions and focus more? And I'm going to just give you one really long, big sentence to answer that. <laughs> Frankly, I think... Read my book, period. Right, right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't even... I'm not a good salesperson, so there I don't think about doing that. Um, but I I will say two things. First of all, we, we, need to, we need to stop beating up on ourselves, because I think that's what a lot of people do, especially the, the people that I see in my practice, and they're not even people with a, a diagnosis. I mean, they're parents of kids who are struggling with attention problems, and they're struggling as a result, and they just get so hard on themselves. So first of all, do that, and, and, and second of all, prioritize. You know, just really pick and choose. Think about one thing you might like to change, and then take very small steps towards changing that as opposed to taking on major self-improvement projects because those you can ne- I, I assure you you can never stick with them long enough for them to to really be successful so take it tiny steps you know bit by bit I remember working with a guy several years ago who he'd actually, and this was before we'd published any books, but he'd seen our questionnaire, and, and so he took it and he figured out what his weaknesses were. They were all over the place. He decided he was going to tackle them. He was in his uh, late 20s, I think, maybe early 30s. Uh, and he, he felt like he'd done it really successfully, but when I asked how he'd done it, he basically said, well, I quit going to school, I, I quit my job, and I just focused on those skills. And luckily, he had a partner who was willing to support him financially while he did this. And I remember thinking about it afterwards, I thought, that's probably what it would take, <laughs> that this would become your full-time job if that's what you wanted to do. And none of us can afford to do that. And on top of that, we really shouldn't be spending all our time working on our weaknesses. So really, really, really start small. Do you worry that distraction and multitasking is not only acceptable, but it's really mainstream now? Yeah, it is. And the the really interesting research on multitasking shows that, I mean, everybody thinks they can multitask. They think they can be, you know, writing emails while listening to a lecture or or playing a video game while in the middle of a conference. Uh, they can't. What what the brain is really doing when you think you're multitasking is it's rapidly jumping back and forth between the various things you're multitasking on. So you're constantly interrupting yourself. And and what happens is you work much less efficiently that way. You can't think as deeply that way. You can't take something from start to finish. And then it becomes habitual. I mean, I, I'm just, and I don't think I'm particularly susceptible to this, but I'm just struck by how I don't stand in lines anymore without pulling out my phone to see you know, what is the New York Times posting now? And so when you have, you know, five seconds of downtime, you're pulling out your phone habitually. And, and so there's no sort of time for thought and reflection or just focusing on your breath, as the people who meditate recommend. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about your tie-in here to executive skills and why learning that 
that you know how how you stack up against an executive i would suppose that that has a wonderful practice of of those skills why is that important to you why did that strike to you as something uh, as a, as a potential remedy to overcome this problem yeah that's a really good question and, and again starting with kids i realized that these are the skills that actually underlie school achievement no one talks about them you pick up a a school curriculum or the common core curriculum and it talks about the various reading skills you should have or the various writing skills that you had and nobody stops to say but wait a minute underneath that there are skills such as task initiation and planning uh and organization and so when i realized that with kids if you could focus on those underlying skills you could build up to the academic performance skills, mm-hmm. uh, it was actually a fairly small leap to realize that the same thing applies to adults. You know, that, that we tend to see ourselves as having sort of global problems, and then we get discouraged. But if we broke that down and said, oh, wait, this is task initiation. I just have trouble getting started on this. So let me tackle this. Mm-hmm. Or this is sustained attention. You know, I, I'm great at starting things, but I'm trouble sticking with them long enough to get them done. So let me figure that out. So I just really saw it as sort of the key to taking these global problems, which seemed overwhelming, and then cut them down into a place to start and a place to focus on. I love your executive skills questionnaire. For starters, how did you come up with that? What was the concept there? Well, we really, uh, and again, starting from working with kids, it, it fairly quickly dawned on us that if that everybody had different profiles of strengths and weaknesses, and that if adults understood their strengths and weaknesses, they might understand kids better, and then we realized, no, wait, they're going to understand themselves better. So, uh, yeah. so that's what led to that. And and it's mostly, I mean, it, to be honest, this is not, you know, from a psychologist or a psychometric perspective, these are not norm-reference rating scales, uh-huh. and so they haven't undergone sort of validity and reliability tests and things like that. There are those tests out there, but we've just used them in our with our audiences for so many years, and we've gotten such strong feedback that it was. I mean, I've just seen so many aha moments as people sort of put it together, and then realizing that not only putting together understanding their own profiles, but then they realized, wait, now I understand my spouse's profile, and now I understand why there are some things we bicker about, or why there are some things that you know cause tension in our relationships. So, what are um, good test results? Can you go into a little detail about? The comparative nature with my score versus somebody else's. I mean, you know, you fill people in on the test, the number of questions, the the data, the you know, get, get people focused on it because I think it's a really cool starting point uh, for both discussion and for the book. Yeah, sure. So there are there are twelve different executive skills, and the questionnaire it just asks three questions about each one of them. Mm-hmm. So they're fairly small questions. And we ask people to rate on the extent to which they agree or disagree with each of the questions. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. For response inhibition, it would, and these are stated positively. So response inhibition is impulse control. I think before I speak, I make sure I have all the facts before I take action. So if that, if that strongly describes you, that means you are good at impulse control or response inhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, another example is organization. I'm an organized person. It's natural for me to keep my work area neat and organized. I'm good at maintaining systems for organizing my work. So again, if you answer positively to those, you're going to be high in organization. When you take, and it's on a one to six scale from strongly disagree to strongly agree, once you've completed the questionnaire, then you go back and you add up the score for each of the executive skills. So 
three three scores per per skill. Yep. And then just just look at your high scores and your low scores. It's not necessarily intended for for people to compare themselves to other people. It's mostly so people can compare themselves to themselves. So they mm-hmm. can they can identify their strengths and their weaknesses. I see. I've used it over the years to try to come come up with some sense of what an average score is. And the average score for most of these skills is, you know, around 14, although I have to admit that the, when I collected that data, I was using a 1 to 7 scale. I had a neutral in there as well. We took out the neutral because we wanted people to, we wanted to force them to make a choice. But I think it's still really relatively valid. Also, we found about a, a 10 to 12 point difference between your highest skill and your lowest skill. And so the maximum score you could get is, well, it'll be around 24 now. So to have a 10 to 12 point difference between those two, then you really are looking at strengths and weaknesses. And I have to say here that there are people out there who don't have those big gaps between strengths and weaknesses. But it's more typical than not that people at least have, you know, one or two strengths that stand out against all the others and one or two weaknesses that stand out against all the others. Is that really what you're looking for with a test is to, is to see which stand out? Yeah, 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 we really are. Yeah. To really pinpoint then, the weaknesses, because everything else is kind of blurred in the middle. What, yeah, if you're, exactly. what if you don't leap out among a top or a bottom? Do you know what I mean? Like what? Yeah. What if you're well, sort of neutral all the way around? If you're neutral all the way, actually, you should probably celebrate, because that means nothing's getting you in real trouble. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, if you're low all the way around, <laughs> that gets more complicated. If you're high all the way around, then what you may want, I mean, why would you be picking up this book? But if you did yeah, pick right. up this book... Chances are that means there's still something you want to work on. So at that point, I would throw out the scores and I would just look at the executive skill definitions and say, is there something here that that I feel like I could get better at that would be worth it to spend the time doing it? Curious. Did you have a goal with the book in the sense that did you want to make people more productive or did you want to make them aware of their weaknesses and help them work on those weaknesses? You know, was there a specific goal in mind or, or you know, self-diagnosis is, is perhaps could reach a bigger crowd? I mean, there's a lot of reasons you might have written the book, but, but I'd like yeah. to hear yours. Yeah, sure. The first book we wrote for parents of kids, it's not the first book we wrote, but when we wrote Smart But Scouted, which was yeah. for aimed at parents of kids between the ages of four and 14, yeah. I just started getting such positive feedback from parents. I mean, I had, I still have this. You know, Occasionally I do workshops and parents will come up to me and say, I read Smart But Scattered. It was transformative. Mm-hmm. So clearly there was something about the way we were presenting our ideas that people could really understand. Mm. And then I, so I saw parents doing great things in terms of, of helping kids develop executive skills. And so my goal was to provide the same tools for parents. Uh-huh. I mean, behavior change is harder in adults than it is in kids, uh-huh. and I think uh-huh. that's really important to understand. Uh-huh. But I also think that if you understand these skills and how to work on them, it really can make a difference in everyday life. Let's take a quick break. Back in a minute, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. 
So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Here with Peg Dawson. So great to be chatting with you today. I wanted to ask you the the overlap that you see in this book with kids in general. Like, I'm imagining being like eight years old, okay, and having this test in front of me and having somebody say to me, hey, we'd like you to evaluate your ability to be the president of the United States. (laughs) You know, take this exam, Byron, and, uh, you know, see if it, see how you think. Now, Obviously, at that age, uh, I don't know how I would actually respond, maybe 12, maybe 14. But my question to you is, do you think we can teach these skills and make people more focused at a younger age? And is that a good thing to be doing right now as we think of the the bad habits we develop as we grow older? That is a great question. With young kids, we have the parents or teachers doing the assessing rather than the kid themselves because uh-huh. kids don't actually have enough metacognition, which is one of the executive skills that's later developing. They don't have uh-huh. enough, the insight to figure that out. When do um, they? What age? Well, it's funny. I mean, I worked with an 11-year-old yesterday who was remarkably insightful in terms of how distracted she is. And she was able to describe in some detail how when she's sitting in class and the teacher's talking, anything can set her off. She said, it could be my thoughts. It could be, you know, sounds around me. It could be, uh, you know, a bird flying by the window. But she stood out to me as being um, unusually insightful at that age. So mm-hmm. it's more, you know, middle school, so grade 7, 8, and then even into high school. And depending, I mean, if a child has an attention disorder or somewhat emotionally immature, it's going to be later than that. But we found, because we've done work with kids both individually and in groups, where we present the concepts of executive skills, down to kids as young as first grade. And if we just present them in general, okay, so here's some tools that will help you learn or be a better student, kids get it. 
And they were able to start thinking, oh, that's something that's hard for me, so I can work on that. Here's a great story. A school I worked with in in L.A. um, decided to just build these executive skill concepts into their classroom discussions with kids. And the second grade teacher, because I came back a year after I'd done the initial presentation, the second grade teacher told this wonderful story about how she'd had some really, really fun event planned for the class. And the kids had been looking forward to it for weeks. And the day of the event, it fell through. And so the poor teacher had to get up that day and say, remember that fun thing we were going to do? We can't do it. It's not going to happen. And this little second-grade girl sighed, and she said, I guess we'll have to be flexible. Uh, (laughs) Flexibility is one of our executive skills. So there she understood the term. She knew how to apply it. And it's a short leap to go from there to what's the coping strategy for disappointment. (laughs) Let's look at that point right there. Do you think that she learned this notion of flexibility from, say, parents that taught her, hey, you need to be more flexible. Flexibility is a good thing. You can't always get what you want. Or do you think she just it just dawned on her that some people are more flexible than others? What's your take on that? In that particular case, and I would say in most cases, this teacher had worked hard on, on giving that vocabulary to kids and helping yeah. them to understand and modeling. I mean, that's the nice thing which parents can do is they can model flexibility. Oh, shoot, I was, uh-huh. was going to make pancakes for breakfast and we're all out of eggs. I'm gonna, I guess I have to be flexible. I'm going to have to do something else. Uh-huh. So as they have to deal with unexpected disappointment themselves, they can model it, they can use the language, and then kids pick it up. And that's the best way. If they just pick it up as part of this is what learning to be a human is all about. Um, it works really well. Good stuff. Yeah. The term scattered is it seems like a very arduous sort of phrase. Scattered seems sort of negative, and I'm not sure where. <laughs> Why did you choose to use that word? Um, okay. Funny question, because this was, we struggled for so long coming up with a title for our book. Yeah. And Ken, I am not good at titles. And finally, one of our editors said, how about Smart But Scattered? And my colleague and I, I mean, we immediately, it sort of lit up with us. You know, the same, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't describe all of the executive skills, but the phrase stuck. And Mm -hmm. I, I get such positive, mostly positive feedback. Every once in a while, I got an email from someone who said, you know, that sounds so pejorative, that sounds so negative, I can't believe you called it that, because, you know, and and then I had another one, I had a mom who said that she, her son had seen that she had the book Smart But Scattered, and she, and basically the kid said, that's me, (laughs) and saw it as, that's a way better way to describe me than calling me lazy, or even calling me ADD or ADHD, so. Yeah. Well, I'll ask so you about that in a second, but yeah, okay. but one, do you happen to know, and I, it's probably impossible to tell, but can you imagine looking at the data on who's buying your book themselves because they're interested in that topic and they see it and they pick it up versus a gift they're getting from somebody who completely recognizes the reality that they're smart but scattered. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? No, I haven't. And actually, this book hasn't been out long enough, but cause the adult <laughs> book would lend itself more to that. Exactly. But it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend just visit me recently, and, and I was talking about the book, and she said, oh, man, my sister would really <laughs> do well exactly. with this book. <laughs> so I actually gave her a copy, and she then gave it to her sister. <laughs> yeah. Her sister was really happy with it. But yeah, I think it's more likely to happen with the adult book than 
Yeah. The Smart But Scattered Guide to Success and with the kid book. That would have been my concern with with the title that you have. Because, you know, I saw that you've, you've got Smart But Scattered for Teens. And, I mean, you could go through the whole cycle. But good stuff there. All right. Well, let's get to that famous word that's thrown around on a regular basis. It's a household name. It's it's a common, common language, ADD and ADHD. Right. Do you feel, my first question for you is this. Do you feel that we've gone through a slight, let's call it, too quick to diagnose phase of, of AD and HD and HD, where anybody that has some sort of problem in their development, no matter what age it is, I might add, adults included, uh, seem to feel comfortable throwing around, oh, well, you, 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 know, you have ADD, you have ADHD. Are, are you, does that concern you at all, and do you think that's happening? I do think it's, I mean, the, the trend I've seen over the years, because I've been in this business for yeah. you know, 35, 40 years now, yep. it, when I, we first started talking about kids with attention disorders, we were basically talking about a very narrow population of kids who were bouncing off the walls. They, were, they couldn't sit still. They were incredibly impulsive to a point where it was dangerous. And then the terms started spreading out and applying to a daydreamy, distractible kid. And so, and I've seen this with so many psychiatric diagnoses where it starts out with a very narrow definition and then suddenly everybody has it. I'm seeing the same process now with autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now suddenly everybody has, is on yeah. the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spectrum. Yeah. So on the one hand, I'm worried about it. On the other hand, you know, I think about when I was growing up, which was way back in the middle of the last century, my <laughs> older brother would have been, I mean, and he and I have talked about this, so I'm not sharing any secrets. You know, had he grown up at a point where there were this diagnosis around, he would have had that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So you think, well, did he do better in childhood because no one was calling him ADD? No, he got called a troublemaker. He got put in special classes because he had trouble sitting still. I mean, even today I see him having to cope with, oh, I can't do that, I'm lazy. So we had terminology to describe ADD, you know, a generation or two ago. But it actually ended up being, I think, a more negative set of labels. At least ADHD, again, is associated with a set of strategies that you can use to help kids, whether it's medication, which does work effectively for for some, or just, again, the kinds of strategies we describe in our book. I would rather give people access to those strategies. So as long as they're not jumping to medication where it's inappropriate, Mm-hmm. And as long as they're not using ADD as an excuse, mm-hmm. and that's that bothers me. Is, well, that's my concern right yeah. there, and yeah. and and I think that that's a concern not just for for kids being sort of diagnosed or or self-diagnosed or parental diagnosed or you know quack doctor diagnosed with ADD, but you know this notion that they now have an excuse and that they're going to go through their life with this excuse in the academic world, pay less attention, work less hard, ask for excuses, longer time to take tests. I mean, that's just wrong to me. You know, yeah. it, I, I don't think it's right. And I think we're, yeah. we're not doing justice to a reality that's been around for, frankly, a long time. Look, yeah. we're all not bred to just sit in a classroom and, and right. all day, every day and study at that same pace. You know, let me can I just quickly respond to that, though, because yeah. I, I saw the same thing with my son. My son was diagnosed with an attention disorder when he was 14. And, you know, within two or three weeks, he understood what ADD was all about. He came home one day and he said, Mom, I don't have to do homework. I have my ADD membership card. And, you know, he had a great sense of humor. And that was a joke. But I immediately stopped and I said, Aaron, I hate to tell you this, but ADD is an explanation. It's not an excuse. 
Mm-hmm. And you've got this, and unfortunately what that means is you actually have to work harder. Exactly. Because you're counteracting problems with attention and distractibility. Yep. So, and that was the message I gave him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's an incredibly hard worker today. So mm-hmm. I worry when parents, in fact, I avoided special ed. I avoided accommodations in school for him because I thought he needs to learn to cope with what he's got. Yep. Um, and, you know, if he had been in much more trouble than he was, then I would have looked at accommodations. And that, to me, is sort of the, you know, he could have been an A student, he was a BC student. I could live with that. If he had been a DF student, then I might have said, oh, man, I, he's failing. i got to figure something out to help him be a little more successful. So parents have to make difficult decisions, and I understand why they access services and supports. But I do worry that some are too quick to do that and, and then to excuse the child when, in fact, they should be helping them you know, figure out how to overcome. On behalf of all the smart, scattered people of the world, I'm going to share a quick story with you and get your take on it. I believe there are four key individuals to successfully run any small to mid-sized company, even a a large company. I call them a bear, a rabbit, an owl, and a turtle. Your turtle is your accountant typically. You know, in order to get X, we need Y and Y to get Z. Your bear is your my way or the highway. This is how we need to run the business. These are the rules that we all live by and the the core of ethics and, and all the other fun things. Your owl is your source of wisdom. You know, been there, done that, can help navigate the troubled waters and guide you along as smoothly as possible when the when, if the wind's blowing the right way. And your rabbit, not surprisingly, their desk is a mess. They're scattered for sure, but they're sources of inspiration and ideas that are critical to the growth of the whole company. This is my case for being smart and scattered. What's your take on that and why therefore want to change somebody that's smart and scattered when in fact you may need that person to uh, experiment and not fall in a rigid you know corporate uh you know setting and be hampered with their creativity Good point. And I wouldn't want to change that. In fact, we did some interesting work where, and again, we don't have hard data to support this, but some nice anecdotal stuff to support that organizations or groups do best when there are a variety of executive skill strengths in that in that organization. Uh-huh. We wrote a, a couple of books along, probably about 15 years ago with a, with a corporate author who used our questionnaire in a marketing course he taught at the University of New Hampshire. And it, the course involved students doing group work. The, the grade was based on a major project that they had to do as a group. And he assigned the groups by having everybody take the questionnaire. And then he said, okay, who in this class is, has planned planning as a strength. And several kids raised their hand and he pointed to each one, okay, you're in group one, you're in group two, you're in group so he assigned them all to different groups. And then he moved on to who in here is strong in time management. He assigned them all to different groups. So he had groups that had a mix of executive skill strengths. But he had like six students at the end who were sort of they didn't fit into any any of the other groups, so he put them together in a group by themselves. And so the, the the semester ensued, and they did their projects, and the, the students graded each they graded each other on the projects because there was a presentation piece of it. And so his name was Chuck Martin, is the, the guy who taught the class. So he computed the scores, he handed in the grades at the registrar's office. He drove away, and he thought, wait, I wonder what happened to that group where I hadn't assigned them based on strengths. And he actually went back and looked at his rank book or rankings, and he found that that was the group that got the lowest score. And so it was a really nice sort of natural experiment that when you have a mix of executive skill strengths in a group or an organization, chances are the product 
that you're trying to come up with is better than if you had everybody you know strong across the board. Spot so on. No CEO, yeah, no CEO should be hiring everybody that looked just like him. That's a terrible idea. Um, so yeah, I appreciate your, that story because I think that fits. I'll leave you with one one final thing to ponder with with me, and that's the following: my my father's a professor of philosophy, retired now, um, but he's he's uh, he's been a great shepherd for me over the years. And he told me some time ago, he said, Byron. You know, as you journey through the world, you should never be afraid of your ignorance, but you should try to hide your stupidity. (laughs) 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 I say that because, you know, maybe it's okay to be smart but scattered, but at least try to, you know, get a little bit more wise with what your weaknesses (laughs) might be when you're scattered. Right, so yeah. you can hide them. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm going to have to ask myself: Okay, am I being ignorant or am I being stupid? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, that's, uh, that's a, a wise comment. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We can thank him for that. Well, yeah. listen, Peg, it's been great having you on the show today. I want to thank sure. you for being here. Yeah, sure. This was fun. Right on. Good stuff. Well, when you publish right. your next book, which apparently is likely. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show, and we'll look okay. forward to having you back. All righty. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank for you. tuning in, everyone. Uh, until next week, I hope your life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 